Well, history shows us that if Oregon wants to win the Pac-12 again on the football field, we have to remember the teachings of Thanos. But like the good part, not the, you know, genocidal part. All right, here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day for watching on YouTube. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. A little bit of recruiting talk coming later. Oregon did not get Ryan Pelham. That's okay. We'll talk about that and a couple other things on that front and a suggestion for Dana Altman. But first we start with the almighty Thanos. And do we call him the late Thanos now? I think so. Maybe. Possibly. He's a fictional character, but he is dead. Cause of death, Iron Man being awesome. Anyway, so the reason I bring up the Mad Titan on today's edition of the show is there is a moment in Avengers Infinity War when it is a flashback scene of the early portion of Gamora's life when Thanos is first taking her in and he puts this little blade with a lovely little ruby in the middle of it and it's all pretty and everything but also deadly because it's got a blade that comes out of either end and he puts it on his finger and he says, see, Gamora, perfectly balanced as all things should be. Too much to one side or the other And he keeps it steady right there. And we're talking about balance today here on the show because Oregon has to be more balanced than they were. Offense and defense and special teams are part of that too than they were a season ago to win the Pac-12. And the data of where Oregon has fared, you know, nationally in uh, in certain statistical categories bear that out. This all stems from a question that came in via the mailbag, which you can always be a part of. YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. DMs and mentions are wide open. This from James. Up in Canada, by the way, locked on ducks is international. You'll love to see it. I've had a question from Australia. I've got a couple listeners in Europe. It's happened before. I've got the data to prove it. And James sent in this question from Canada, our brothers to the north. Hey, Spencer, it's your Canadian subscriber from Locked On Ducks. Better not be the only subscriber for long. We're trying to get to 3,000 before the season starts, by the way. We're almost to 2,700. I need subscribers from all over the globe. Let's make it happen. Here's a mailbag question for you. As we go into the 2023 season, If you could have your choice of how the team would perform, which one of these would you opt for? Option one, top 10 offense, which produces 550 yards per game, but a defense that gives up 400 plus yards per game. So basically Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma teams in a nutshell, which were very good, by the way, and won conference championships. Two, option two, top five defense, but an offense that is only averaging 100 yards passing and 100 yards rushing. Ew, that's nasty. That's, uh, that's some Iowa stuff right there. Third option, defense that is giving up 350 yards per game and an offense averaging 400 total, 200 yards, both on the ground and also in the air. Keep up the great work. So if those are my preferences or my only choices here for how Oregon can play, I mean, in a perfect world, yeah, you have a top five offense and a top five defense, but that's not really very feasible 
it's pretty difficult to have a top five, top 10, heck, even top 20, you know, a nationally ranked either side of the ball, offense or defense. So having one that is in that sort of range and then one that's, you know, close and knocking on the door is kind of where Oregon wants to be. So I would go with option three here, a defense giving up 350 yards per game, which would be less than a season ago, and an offense that's, you know, kind of around 400 and at least 200 rushing, 200 passing and balanced again, like Oregon was a season ago. They were a great rushing team and they threw the ball down the field and Bo Nix had some big time games. So in 2022, Oregon had a top 10 offense in yards per game. And I went back and compared the numbers and and the ranges that they were in, in yards per game offensively and yards per game allowed compared uh, last season to every year that Oregon has won the Pac-12, except for the COVID year, because what even was that? So in 2022, Oregon had a top 10 offense, but they ranked 74th in defensive yards allowed per game. No bueno, not going to cut it, has to be better. Compare that to 2019, where your offense was only inside the top 40, but the defense was inside the top 25. Those two numbers, pretty darn close together. Almost perfectly balanced, like Thanos said. He wasn't all wrong. He was just, you know, kind of wrong on one key thing. Though sometimes, do people ever annoy you, annoy you to the point where you just go, oh, Thanos was right? Not, not, not in a serious way, but in a jovial fashion, everybody's got that at some point in time, I think. Okay, anyway. 2014, Oregon won the Pac-12. Had a top five offense. It was number three in the country in yards per game, led by this Heisman Trophy winning guy we may or may not all remember. He came from Hawaii. Uh, His name was uh, Marcus Mariota. That's how they pronounce his name on the first broadcast. Not sure if that's actually right, but, you know, anyway. So, uh, facetious there, of course. And the defense was top 70. Was not a great defense that year. Did have some great individual players, but the nature, I think, of how the offense played kind of counteracted the defense's ability to succeed because if you're scoring really really fast the other defense is tired but your defense is also kind of tired which we saw you know in the chip kelly days for sure 2011 oregon won the pac-12 top five offense they were number four in yards per game nationally and again they were just inside the top 70 for defense so if you have a defense that is not doing great and is you know in the 60 to 70 range nationally in yards per game allowed History shows us that for Oregon, you have to be top five offensively. Now, they were in that sort of range a year ago in yards per game, but still the defense kind of made that mar- the, the margins a little bit thinner, right? And just didn't give them a whole lot of room to operate or you know a whole lot of room to make a mistake outside of the Utah game, of course. 2010, went to the national championship game. Number one in total offense per game. 530 yards per game, 47 points per game. Goodness, Chip was doing rude, rude things to other college football teams back in the day. But that year, that team that went to the national championship game in 2010, top 35 in yards per game allowed. That is the highest combination of top offense and top defense that Oregon has had in any of these uh, seasons that I'm talking about here, which were, of course, the most successful ones uh, in in the last 15 years or so. And that prior year when they uh, won the Pac-10, beating the Beavs in the Civil War, and then uh, going to the Rose Bowl, losing Ohio State, top 35 offense, top 45 defense. So again, a pretty good balance there. So when I look at what, you know, Oregon needs to do going forward, 
in what they've done in the past. You can be, by the way, with a defensive coach and Dan Lanning, an offensively driven team. Okay, Nick Saban's Alabama teams over the last several years don't look or play stylistically like they did in 2010 because the game is moving towards offense. So when you're laying out these scenarios here, James, you know, asking, would you rather have a, you know, more of an offensively driven team or defensively driven team or somewhere in the middle? The answer is I would like to have somewhere in the middle, but you should be leaning towards the offensive side of the ball here because it's really, really hard in today's college football world to build the sort of defense that, you know, Georgia did a year ago. Now, would we like Dan Lanning and, and Tosh Lupo and everyone on defensive staff to get close to that one day? Yeah, of course. That's why we talk about recruiting. That's why we talk about player acquisition and portal guys and all that sort of stuff and the importance of it. However, it's still a sport nowadays that is driven by offense. So I think you need to have a lean in that direction, but your defense just has to make some strides. But notice when you look at those you know great seasons in which, in which Oregon won the Pac-12, they were never a top 10 offense and defense, right? They had a top 10 offense every year, except for 2009 when they won the Pac-10. But since it was the Pac-12, the only year they didn't have either an offense or defense in the top 25 nationally in yards per game allowed or produced, depending on which side of the ball you're talking about, was 2019 when it was a top 25 defense, right? That's the only year, sorry, they didn't have anything inside the top 20. So that's kind of statistically where you need to be shooting for. And I think Oregon with their personnel, especially this year, need to be more offensively driven, and that's what they're going to be. But the defense needs to go from 74th to, gosh, can you just get inside the top 50, inside the top 40? Because if you get in that sort of range, history will tell you Oregon's going to have a really, really good chance to to win the Pac-12 championship this year. So love that question. Love diving into that sort of stuff. But we got to dive into recruiting here. Oregon lost a recruiting battle, and it's not the end of the world. It is the end of the world, maybe, if you don't go check out FanDuel, because baseball season is here. It's in full swing. As I record this show, I just watched the Mariners on a horrendous call from the home plate umpire close out the Nationals, who had the tying run at the plate after trailing by five, entering the ninth. Final score, eight to four, Mariners get the win. If you thought the Mariners were going to win that game, you could have bet that at FanDuel. If you thought they were going to lose, you could have bet that. Would have looked good early, because the Mariners were down 3-1 basically before they could blink. But baseball season's in full swing. No better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. America's number one sports book. And right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to join today. You can bet on baseball, college football, anything you want. They've got it there at FanDuel. Don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. What was that? What was that? You smell that? Opportunity. No, that was the second segment sip. That was also me... um, parlaying a uh, a scene from the big short into our transition that happens every day here from the second segment sip into the second segment and remainder of the show. So great opening question here from James. This one came in from Balin. Another question I've been meaning to ask and might be useful to others in a similar boat as me. I have a hard time actually getting excited about recruiting and recruits aside from signing day, but I'd like to get into it more. How could I get more excited about recruiting? 
everything I've tried telling myself until now hasn't worked. Would like to hear your thoughts. So let's start with the Ryan Pelham thing before I dive into that uh, particular topic. We'll talk about this more with Brian Smith tomorrow, but this is just one of those instances. I think Pelham, who can play both ways, but projects a little bit more as a wide receiver, classic instance of I would like to have had him, would have liked to have had him. English is really fun. Losing him or losing the recruiting battle, rather. He's never committed to the Ducks. Not the end of the world. It's not like you lost it to, you know, Boise State or, you know, some G5 or Washington State or, or somebody like that. But I think Oregon's fine. You know, positionally, they're still in a good place. I know you had Ticey or Denmark flip from uh, Oregon to, to Penn State. But still, now and in the future, you know, with guys like Gary Bryant having two years of eligibility. Kyler Casper still on the roster right now. Jurion Dickey on his way. Tez Johnson, I think, has two years of eligibility left. Oregon is okay at at that position group, but it's just one of those battles. You win some, you lose some. But getting here to to Balin's question about, you know, how do you care about recruiting at, at this point in the year, you have to go back and look at every single class and understand that, yes, there are kids who have flipped away from Oregon in the past, right? Tysier Denmark did it. You had uh, Dante Moore do it, of course. Flips also come in Oregon's direction. Jordan James was a late flip, by the way. He was committed to Georgia until the 11th hour. Jaden Lamar was kind of a late addition to Oregon's 2023 recruiting cycle. But the reason that I, I think it's a lot easier and more logical to get into recruiting in the offseason here is, number one, so you understand what the depth is like fully at every single position so that when you know we're leading up to the season, I'm talking about, hey, what, what's the depth chart going to be at, at this position group or that one? And, a true, and, and I mentioned a true freshman. He comes up a conversation, your understanding of who that is, you know, what his potential could be, what kind of player is, and all that sort of stuff. That's the first thing. But the second thing, too, I think you're hinting it, or not hinting, you're openly suggesting here in your question, Balin, that, well, you know, I, I just can't get into it until signing day. There are always going to be a small number of kids who flip, who decommit, who go elsewhere, who do this, that, and the other thing. But the commit rate or the retention rate of verbal commitments is really, really high. So understand that when it happens, it's not groundbreaking news, end of the world, this has never happened, programs in decline or anything like that. But also understand that as you build out these recruiting classes, oftentimes, and you go look at the past classes and you can see this really clearly, what you're looking for are a select few players who are going to become big time household names for the program, right? And when you have a highly touted recruit, that can happen sooner rather than later, but it can happen with a variety of guys and you just never know. If you go look at Oregon's 2021 uh, recruiting class, I'm gonna pull it up right now. That's the highest rated class in program history. Now it's a little bit different because uh, there was a coaching change and a lot of players left, but as you go down the list here, these are all guys who we would have talked about at the time as, you know, what their potential could be and the upside that they bring and how they could fit into the system and all that sort of stuff. You only ended up in a, a class of 23 commits that finished uh, sixth nationally uh, coming out of the high school ranks alone, not factoring in the portal. You only have a handful of guys that are still on the roster here. Now, again, 
Part of that is the coaching change, but you go up and down the, the, the lineup of the 23 guys and you're trying to find a handful of players. And that's what it, you know I think makes recruiting fun this time of year is trying to figure out who those guys are going to be. Because not everyone, even four-star players, are going to hit, right? So I'll start from the bottom up here. Brandon Buckner, not a big player. Darren Barkins has sparingly seen the field for the Ducks. Jabril McNeil, don't know if he ever really played. Terrell Tillman, sparingly on the field. But then you got up to the four stars, and it was Jeffrey Bossa. He's played a lot. Keanu Williams, he's no longer with Oregon. Jonathan Flo, never really played. Jonah Miller, don't think he ever saw the field in a meaningful way. Damon David, still on the roster? Eh, not so much, uh, you know, playing a ton, but could be in the fold one day. You never know with the safety position this year. Terrence Ferguson, Jackson Powers Johnson, high-impact players. Those are guys who right now, as we speak, are foundational pieces to what Oregon is going to be this season. So it's very much a long-term investment. You go up, Byron Cardwell, you know, played a role, transferred out, of course. Maliki Matavau, again, played a really key role while he was here. Seven McGee, Jalen Davies, Avante Dickerson. Those guys had not as big roles as we maybe thought they were going to at one point in time. Keith Brown played a lot on the defense the last couple of years. Dante Thornton transferred out, but played a big role in Oregon's offense a season ago when Chase Cota went down. Kingsley Suamatia, that's a little bit of a different situation. He was the highest rated recruit, never really played a snap for the Ducks, I don't think. Ty Thompson, of course, in there. And then you have Troy Franklin. So in a recruiting class of 23 guys, You've got six or seven players that know it's not going to be immediately or right away that they'll necessarily make a big impact on the team. But this is just the cycle of college football and recruiting is today's recruits can be tomorrow's stars. You don't know who they're going to be, right? If you were just looking at this class from 2021 on paper and trying to figure out well, who the biggest player is going to be, yeah, you'd probably look at Kingsley, Ty Thompson, Troy Franklin, and Dante Thornton. Well, only two of them ended up being significant contributors. Only one of them is what I would call a major contributor for for the Ducks right now. But trying to figure out, you know, what the magic formula is for a guy having the right physical traits, a guy having the right position group to come into, the timing, the depth chart, and all that sort of stuff is where I think you, you should be thinking with regards to, you know, how do I get excited? How do I care about this sort of stuff? Because no, not everyone in a recruiting class is going to pan out and be a big time player. A lot of guys have the potential to, but on the surface, you know, Damon David had a slightly higher rating than Jeffrey Bossa. Jeffrey Bossa had his, has had a much more impactful career to this point uh, with, with, with the Ducks and he's entering his third season, right? Keanu Williams, it never really did a lot for the Ducks. He's transferred uh, since to UCLA, Maliki Matavau. Had a really good couple of seasons. He's also transferred to UCLA. So my, my, my point here is that you have to have an understanding of how much roster turnover takes place year in and year out. And that this stuff matters because you don't ever want to be in a place as a program where if you lose, you know, one class that has four or five major, major guys, you don't have the talent behind them capable of stepping up and at least giving you a high level of, of production compared to what you were getting with the previous guys before. So that's why recruiting matters is you got to have the depth, not just for, you know, the season, sometimes true freshman will play. I mean, like in that 2021 class, Troy Franklin played as a true freshman, was not a full-time starter or anything, but he played as a true freshman. And by the end of the year, we were saying, boy, look out for that guy's potential. And he has popped in a big, big way. And Keith Brown, we were saying, look out for his potential. 
and it was there, but he got beat out by other guys on the depth chart. But a guy like Jackson Powers Johnson, right, has waited his turn, four-star recruit, Tiford, impact since he was a true freshman. You can see guys make an impact there. It's not always easy to predict who they're going to be. That's why we talk about that sort of stuff here on the show. But those players are in there. There's no, like, it's easy to kind of push it off in your mind and, and say something to the effect of, they're just not going to be here for so long. And, you know, will they ever even play? Are they just going to transfer out? I, I, I get that. And in the age of the transfer portal, yeah, that's that's part of it. But you're still going to have a value to high school recruiting. It's not going to just go away. I noticed the recruiting services in the portal era are still doing just fine. They're still scouting. They're still putting out big-time reports. Recruiting high school kids still matters. It just perhaps matters a little bit less than it used to, but that doesn't mean that it's not important for your depth in, in the short term, that you couldn't have an impact player as as a true freshman. I mean, heck, Mateo's coming in as a true freshman. We've added transfers on the defensive line, or, or one transfer. I kind of think of like Popo sort of as a transfer because we didn't have him last year. And we, you know, he's a power five capable player. But anyway, so you added a transfer in Jordan Birch, but you also brought in a guy in Mateo who I think is going to make an impact in his first season. So that's why we still care about this stuff. That's why it does still matter because depth and building for the future, it's a perpetual cycle. It is constant. And if you let yourself slip, especially with where Oregon's goals are as a program, which is get to the playoff, win a national championship one day, God willing, you have to continue to do this stuff at a high level because if you fall off, history shows you that you're just not going to be able to win at the level that that, that we would like to. So uh, I think that's the best uh, best explanation I can give there. Uh, let's pivot over to basketball before we end with another fun topic to end today's show. I love the fun questions, by the way. Just like the you know yesterday, we were going back to locked on food, pretty much. I absolutely love it, and I'm here for all of it, but. Oregon basketball right now currently has uh, eight guards on the roster, two forwards, and one center. Now, one of those forwards is Nate Biddle, who can play center. But that still leaves you in a position without Devin Cambridge of you have three front court players. You have KJ Evans, the five-star true freshman coming in. You have Nate Biddle. You have Infali Dante. You have those three guys, and you have eight guards. My understanding is that there are two scholarships available for Oregon men's basketball and Dana Altman to use. My uh, official recommendation, shall we say, is go get some size. Because if one of those, and Folly Dante, unfortunately, has had an injury-riddled career. When he plays, he is a dominant, forceful big man. But he has been hurt every year that he has been with the Ducks, to my recollection. He's never played a full healthy season. You can't just have one center. You, you, can't, you can't have, and look, Biddle can play center. Okay, but let's say Dante goes down with an injury or has to miss some time. Are you going to run with one center and one power forward and eight guards? Because that, that's what Dana and company have been doing for the last several years. They've loved these three-guard rotations. And I think I, I do think that the guards they have are more equipped to do that because they are bigger. You know, Kuznard is 6'3", 6'4". Mookie Cook is 6'4". Cario Kendo, for the transfer from Georgia, is 6'4". So they're not, you know, putting three small guys out there 
the way they did. I guess Will Richardson was six foot five, but you know the Richardson Harmon Joe Young trio from two years ago felt like it was just lacking defensively a, a little bit. But you still have Bartholomew in there, and you have Kuznard, and you have Jackson Shellstead coming in. And you have Mookie Cook coming in. He's listed as a guard, kind of plays as a wing. But just three players who can play in the front court, who can post up, who can rebound at a high level, it it just feels like that is not enough. And and Devin Cambridge, who, you know, was going to come to Oregon uh, via the transfer portal from Arizona State, decommitted, flipped to Texas Tech. Didn't know that was a thing, but honestly, nothing really surprises me in terms of player mobility and movement anymore in college sports. I think that that is indicative of a couple things that that they need to do. Number one, you got to go get size. But number two, gosh almighty, I would love it if they went and got a big time shooter. Like what 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 would be really really perfect for Dane Haltman and his staff is if they were able to go out and find like a six nine stretch four. That would be so money. Absolutely positive, straight cash, homie. That's a perfect fit. I don't know all the names that are in the transfer portal. I haven't done a deep dive. Uh, Zach Neal over at, at Ducks Wire had a rundown of some guys that, that are in there. But you know, it didn't seem like Oregon was necessarily a leading candidate at this point in time. There's no way they leave the roster as is. I, I cannot see them just rolling with with three players that are 6'5 or taller, right? Evans is 6'9", Biddle and Dante are both basically seven-footers. Those can't be your only bigs. Those can't be the only front court players that you have. So they were bringing in Cambridge for a reason. I think now that they've lost him, they go out and get a guy of similar size, maybe even bigger. But I, I think they need a, a stretch four who can shoot the three at like 35%. If that sort of player is out there, and the portal can give you a lot of things nowadays, I would absolutely, positively go out and get him if I'm if I'm Dana Altman and and the staff. Because you know all those guards I listed, eight of them, they're six four and below. It's not like they're six seven, six eight guards. Or, you know Ben Simmons types out there who are point forwards or anything, right? It's uh, Shellstad is six one. Bartholomew is generously I think listed at six foot I think he's more he's more like 5'11 he's a small guy out there good player though love Bartholomew off the bench you've got Kuznard at 6'4 Akendo at 6'4 Cook I think is 6'4 6'5 maybe so he's wing-ish but again not a front court player I think they need more depth because you just feel like you're one injury away from suddenly having two bigs and I, I, I don't think they can they, they can get by with that, especially with the way Dana likes to instill a culture of defense with his teams. I think that's the move that, that they need to, to make right there. So, as always, drop your thoughts in the YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks, as Bud did here in the mailbag. And I genuinely love and appreciate the sentiment that he, that he's expressing here. I really, really do. And I wish I had a different answer. What am I talking about? He says, mailbag. Will you be able to attend any football games at Autzen this year or any non-conference games in the upcoming years, given your busy broadcasting schedule? For those of you who don't know, I do play-by-play for Southern Utah University uh, in the Western Athletic Conference. And how about the Husky deliberate lowercase? <laughs> he, got, he, he did a lowercase on the H. I love it. That's that's. I'm here for that sort of petty malice. That's like that's that's a good that's a good shot there. Um, and how about the Husky game 
uh, this year in Seattle. If I recall correctly, that was a possibility you mentioned earlier. Go Ducks. So I would love to be able to go to more Oregon games this year. I also love my career, care about it very much, and my primary responsibility is to broadcast Southern Utah University athletics. My job right now is to just do the home games for the ESPN Plus broadcasts. We're looking into expanding that role to be more inclusive, which would make it even more challenging. But if that doesn't happen, then I would probably get up. There are other games that that weekend um, that that I might be able to get a, a fill in for. It would kind of depend, but. Even that October 14th game at Washington, and my parents live just north of Seattle. That's why he's bringing it up and why I've brought it up. I think I was talking on uh, Ryan Winter's show uh, a while ago about that possibility. I would love to get up for that. I would love to get up for a lot of games, but my instinct and feeling right now is it's probably just not going to work out with the way the, the schedules are. Now, you know, there, there's an Abilene Christian Southern Utah football game in Cedar City, Utah on October 28th at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. That's the same week of the Utah game at Rice-Eccles. So if they want to start that game at 10 p.m. Mountain Time, then maybe I'd be able to make it up, but probably not. Uh, that, 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 again, would be unlikely. Not impossible necessarily, but unlikely. Uh, the best and probably only chance I'll have to go to any Oregon football games this fall would be the Pac-12 championship game. Now, if Oregon gets to the Pac-12 championship game, and what do they need for that? Like Thanos said, perfectly balanced. Not perfectly balanced, but more perfectly balanced. How about that? If they get to the Pac-12 championship game, that's in Las Vegas. I drive there all the time. I will 100% be there. So that's the only game that I can say, you know, I'll be at. If Oregon gets there, I will 100% be at the game. I went in 2021 when they got blown out by Utah. Most fun I've ever had during an Oregon blowout, by the way. Utah fans are great. So I would love to play them again. The atmosphere would be electric, but... If they get to the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas, I will definitely be there. I hope that that happens because that's kind of what we're building for here. That's what we've been talking about for a long, long time. And that's what we would like to have happen once again uh, after Oregon had made the previous uh, you know, three Pac-12 championship games in 19, 20, and 21. Missing it last year. Would love for them to get back there. And would also love to to see a, a bunch of you down there in Las Vegas. That'd be super, super fun. But we got a long way to go before that happens. Because as we know, the Pac-12, yeah, they're really, really good this year. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And go Ducks.